All right, welcome back for Film Shake, the 90s movies podcast. Put on your Jerry Curl mullet and punch a rattlesnake in the face. We're here to talk about 1993's Hard Target. I'm Jordan. And this is Nick. And today we have a special guest with us, Jason Kleberg from the Force 5 podcast. Jason, welcome and thanks, man, for talking with us. Thanks for having me and honored to be on the show. Yes, sir. You honored us a while back in 2020. Uh, we were on one of your episodes for the Force 5 podcast, the 90s sci-fi episode. So that was a lot of fun where we got to pick our top five 90s sci-fi movies. Tell our listeners a little bit about your show in case they want to go check it out. Yeah, so uh, easily put, it's the show where I force a guest to come up with a top five list based on movies and we reveal our picks on air. So it might be something like you did top five 90s sci-fi movies could be top five movie mullets. And this movie would oh. definitely make the list. Um, so it's it's always chosen by the guest, and I just kind of follow along on their coattails. But it always leads to uh, pretty good, interesting conversations and uh, some deep cuts here and there, too. I have to say, too, guesting on your show was integral for our show because whenever we were on, I was recapping the movie Strange Days, which has a very, very intense rape scene, and I was trying to discuss it as PC as possible. It's a very complex film, and I thought about it for a long time, and I thought that I had found a great way to phrase things and describe it, and then my cat came to the closet <laughs> door because I record in my wife's coat closet and just started meowing and sticking his paw under the door and just blew my concentration, and Jordan had to bail me out. And since then, I've <laughs> instituted a three-door policy. So I've got the closet door shut, the bathroom door that connects to the closet door shut, and my bedroom door shut so that no cats can get to me. And it's all because of that guest spot. So I have to thank you for that. <laughs> I've only had one cat interruption in the two years since then, and that's because he was hiding in the coats, and he just jumped on me. Well, safe <laughs> to say I am the reason for this show's success, and I'll take it. That's right. <laughs> Cat-free since 2020, <laughs> <laughs> except for that one time. Well, Jason, you brought up top five mullets. I feel like you've just spoken that into existence now, and we definitely need to come back on your show and do top five mullets <laughs> from the 90s, from... All time? I don't know, but that sounds like a great episode to dive into. And surely we'd all have this on our list. Oh, for sure. Like maybe maybe just hands down number one. <laughs> uh, I don't know. It just It's got to be. It's got to be. I think it's definitely the most sensual one. Oh, yeah. Did either of you have a mullet at any point? I was never brave enough, sir. I'm sorry. Uh, yes, unfortunately, I did when I was a kid. Uh, I went through all kinds of antiquated hairdos i went through the rat tail phase when i was little i went through the mullet i went through the bowl cut my parents were just ruthless but i think it uh it definitely <laughs> hardened me for the later years you know <laughs> this is just for your own good son we're toughening you up for the real world <laughs> yeah i mean i never turned out to be like van damme but you know i definitely held my own on the playground because of it that's cool van damme would be proud yeah <laughs> I had a mullet in 91 and kids yanked on it and made fun of me and it it was awful. I it was not a sensual Van Damme mullet. It was a very nerdy 10-year-old kid mullet and I re still regret to this day uh 30 years later, 31 years later, damn. Yeah, I've never grown a mullet again since. Well man, it seems like I don't know if you've seen the the Gen Zers nowadays, uh the mullet is coming back. <laughs> it seems like I don't know, ironically, or if this is just like back in trend, like a serious fashion statement. But anyway, 
So maybe we should move on and talk about this movie. So this is directed by John Woo, and we've covered Broken Arrow before, which is just 90s quintessential Christian Slater. Jason, are you, I'm guessing you're a big fan of John Woo, being that this was kind of your pick. I love John Woo. I love him. His late 80s to mid 90s stuff, both in Hong Kong and in America, are amazing he's done some of the best action movies ever made and in fact i think that if you're a fan of john woo's hong kong movies you'll actually get a lot more out of hard target than somebody who hasn't seen those which i'm sure i'll I'll wax more about later but yeah i love john woo yeah there's definitely some nods here to some of his you know early work just thinking about hard target you know being that he had another movie hard boiled just getting hard in both of those movies. <laughs> That's an insane action movie. I mean, talk about like some of the the gun work in this one. And, you know, there's even like a scene where the two characters are shooting through the wall at each other. It just reminded me immediately of Hard Boiled. So if anybody hasn't seen Hard Boiled, definitely go and track that down. If you if you like this kind of thing, it's I would say even more insane. Oh, 100 percent. Yeah. Have So just. Um, for my own knowledge, Nick, have you seen, well, I guess Nick and Jordan, have you seen what I would consider his trifecta, Hard Boiled, The Killer, and A Better Tomorrow? You know, I haven't seen A Better Tomorrow. I watched Hard Boiled and The Killer back to back, but I've never seen A Better Tomorrow. Now, I love those two movies, and have you ever watched them with the John Woo director's commentary out of curiosity? I have not. He's amazing. Yeah, I really just fell in love with him as a filmmaker and honestly as a person listening to just how thoughtful that he is about every decision in his films. He's so meticulous. I feel like there's a maybe not so much with this one, but with the movies you just talked about, there are some layers of depth there that I just never really realized until I watched the commentaries. And he's actually a really religious guy, too, which was a surprise. And he points out a lot of the symbolism he has in the movies and the commentary. If you're just thinking like, oh, this is just brainless action. It's not that John Woo is actually a deep guy. Maybe in this movie, it's brainless action. But I think some of that was out of his hands. Yeah, right. Yeah, it seems to be the case. So uh, also thinking about another 90s action movie that we definitely have to cover at some point on this show being Face Off, directed by John Woo, Nicolas Cage, John Travolta. <laughs> just, I feel like maybe like his apex of the 90s, like you go from Hard Target to Broken Arrow and the peak being Face Off, just absolute insanity and beautiful ballet-like action moves in that movie. I'm kind of a miss. I need to go back and watch some of his other 80s stuff that I haven't picked out yet. Like, I haven't seen The Killer or Better Tomorrow. The Killer is one of the best action movies ever made, right up there with Hard Boiled. And I think A Better Tomorrow 1 and 2 are both spectacular movies. So, um, And that, that's really where he honed his style of the gun-fu work that we see everywhere today. That's That's really like the starting point of that movement. So stuff like John Wick, you'll see a lot of stuff inspired from those movies. 
Well, getting into Hard Target a little bit, this is based on the most dangerous game. You know, originally a short story and then a movie, many different iterations. And Nick, throwing this out there, we've basically covered Hard Target before in the fact that we've covered Surviving the Game, which (laughs) was from just a year later in 94. Jason, have you seen Surviving the Game with Ice-T and Rutger Hauer and Gary Busey? Of course I have. And Charles S. Dutton just... uh, Oh, yes. Yes. I think his knees uh, leave his body at some point in the movie. (laughs) (laughs) And if you mention Surviving the Game, though, like the only image that I can picture in my mind is just insane Gary Busey, his teeth just devouring that movie and him busting out of the cabin at one point running like a crazy man with a knife raised in the air and then immediately you know getting i think he gets killed like right away but uh yeah i just wanted more gary Busey in that movie his monologue's amazing that's a classic 90s monologue there one of the best one of the best jordan i didn't do the stinger that i always do for surviving the game the hair metal stinger. do it need it i think i'm just gonna pull it out at some random moment in this episode now i feel like i'm on the spot (laughs) oh (laughs) <laughs> we're just gonna be waiting on pins and needles the whole time surviving the game there you go it's over there with. you go did it <laughs> there you go get it get it out yeah i since you've been doing that ever since we covered that movie i can only hear surviving the game in that voice so thank you for that all right so jumping into the plot of hard target we have once again another dude being hunted just like surviving the game we open up with Uh, One of these characters set in New Orleans uh, being chased by a man with arrows. And I just love any movie that opens up and there's explosions before the credits are even over. (laughs) And you definitely know it's a John Woo movie at that moment. Did you watch the director's cut or did you see the theatrical cut on this one? Hmm, I'm not even sure what I watched. Uh, I found it online at uh, at a location that's provided to us. Via a friend. I can figure it out by the runtime, Jordan. I'm going to look at that friend's location right now. <laughs> I, I could tell, Jason, you brought to my attention that Kino Lorber was going to bring this to 4K Blu-ray uh, last year, yep. which is w- how we got on the cover again now. I got so psyched when you told me that. And I bought that Kino Lorber 4K disc, and it looks amazing. It looks so good. Yeah. So I watched that cut, and I watched the theatrical I also watched all the extras on Kino Lorber. I'm just really OCD. I got to watch every version of the movie before we talk about it. Though I didn't watch the working print version, the legendary working print. The legendary, yeah. Like Uh. 20 minutes longer than this one. Is that available somewhere? Yes. So uh, for this this refresh, I did also watch the Kino Lorber 4K. I agree. It looks amazing. The, The work print is one that I have seen... In, oh, so way back when, in the early days of the internet, I found a like a DVD trading spot at one point, and somebody had the hard target work print. And there are some definite changes that I remember from the director's cut that we watched. There's completely different music. There's a track from The Hunt for Red October. 
there's a track from wow. Rambo in there because uh, when <laughs> wow. you do work prints, you just you put unlicensed music in sometimes. Right. You just throw in the temp tracks to kind of set the scene or whatever. Exactly. There was a Clapton song in there at some point. There was a, a love scene that was cut completely as well between uh, Van Damme and Yancey Butler. Nice. Jordan, I can confirm that the version that you watched at our undisclosed watching location was indeed the Kino Lorber cut. Cool. It was the director's the, cut? That's right. Okay. The, the three minutes longer cut, which... The three minutes. Was that what? Just 12 more explosions thrown <laughs> in there, I guess? Watching them back to back, the main thing that stood out to me was the ear cutting scene is more violent in yep. the longer mm-hmm. cut. That's the main difference. There's a lot of really small cuts that add up those three minutes. So, for example, in the beginning opening scene, there's a lot less done to the old man. And then there's the uh, the African-American character who gets hunted later on. And in that scene where he gets done in, it's a lot longer as well. Like he takes a lot more bullets as well. And then in the work print, he even tries to get up again and they give him more more rounds in the work. Wow. Print. So he takes a lot of damage <laughs> as the cuts go on. Yeah, I love it. This movie is insane that... Like everybody who gets killed gets shot 20 times, Mm -hmm. doesn't die, gets roundhouse kicked in the face and then shot 20 more times. And then they die after like a grenade takes them out. So yeah, all that to say this movie was what initially rated NC-17 or X. They had uh, submitted a couple of times to the MPAA to get the R rating because of the violence. But yeah, even the the R rated version that we watched, um, with the director's cut, I'm assuming that's still an R rating. It's, uh, yeah, it's super violent. Yeah, it is. I did like the opening. It starts out with the perfect John Woo tone because it's, I mean, this this poor guy is getting hunted by people in cars, people in motorcycles, and their job is not to, the guys on the motorcycles, they're kind of like hurting him to slow him down so that the paying customer can get his kill shot. It's just, it's it's wild. Right, because we find out later on in the movie, these are basically rich guys paying this team of mercenaries or killers to allow them to hunt people down, like, for pleasure. And so a lot of these guys, I guess some of them seem to be trained, like, military, or they have an idea of what they're doing with a gun, but... You know, of course, some of them are just kind of bumbling around and uh, get themselves into trouble. Did y'all think it was a little weird that we get the title of the movie morphing from the arrow, which is awesome, but it's not the end of the intro scene. It just kind of punctuates the first sentence of the intro scene, and then it keeps going after Hard Target comes up on the screen. Loved it. Love a good 90s <laughs> just title. Of course, we have Lance Henriksen here, just classic bad guy. Always seeming to be playing some kind of skeezy character or just, you know, total douchebag. But uh, he just he just fits the part here perfectly. He, I just love his energy. I love the crazed faces he makes throughout this. He's playing a piano at one point and he looks like he just wants to murder it. He is so good. First off, he's good in anything. But it's funny. I was watching this and my wife walks in and she sees... One of the scenes where he's getting really frustrated and he puts on a great frustration face later on in this movie. Yeah. But my wife says, who is this guy? He's terrible. And I <laughs> I turned to her and I'm, I'm like, 
what? She says, look at he's he's overacting. This guy's terrible. I said, no, no, no. He just knows what kind of movie he's in. He is chewing exactly. the scenery. Later on, when we will get to it, but later on, there's a scene in which you watch Lance Hendrickson and I, I had to wonder why has nobody and maybe they have and I just don't know it, but why has nobody cast him as the devil yet? Because he would be amazing <laughs> as the devil. Throw out Pacino and put him <laughs> in the devil's advocate. Yes. Jason, have you seen the fourth Crow film, which is terrible, but have you seen that film? Is that the one with Edward Furlong? That's right. You've got Edward Furlong and you have Dennis Hopper as a Satan worshiper that helps Satan come back to Earth in David Boreanaz's body. And he's a pimp. Dennis Hopper's a pimp and he speaks almost entirely in pimp slang. It's amazing. David Boreanaz from Angel, he's all right but you know he doesn't have that much charisma like the devil comes into him and he basically starts winking when he talks like that's the only change i wish he would have morphed into lance henrickson now because <laughs> dennis hopper calls satan the real og like if that was lance henrickson he was calling the real og to that would have been amazing oh yeah immediately a five-star movie <laughs> yeah i can totally understand your wife's point especially if she's wa- walking into that scene if i'm if what you're talking about is what I think you're talking about later when he's just really frustrated and he's <laughs> gritting his teeth and he, you know, his coat had just caught on fire and Van Damme's taken out all his guys. Like he is definitely overacting and going over the top, but you're right. Like it works. Well, I mean, I guess we can debate if this works or if it's just so bad, it's good at times, but it works for me in, in that way that it's just, like you said, he knows what kind of movie he's in. It's, it is just kind of ridiculous and he he brings it. He brings that same kind of charisma that the movie has. Yeah, for sure. Well, so after this initial opening scene, we have, is it Yancey Butler is the actress who plays Nat? Yep. This lady down in New Orleans, she's obviously from out of town looking for her dad, and he's gone missing. He, he you know, He's been sending her letters, but they've stopped coming about three weeks ago, so she's down here looking for him. And we see her walk into a restaurant where Van Damme notices her. This is after we have just this classic introduction to Van Damme's character. It's just close up after close up on Van Damme because apparently he wanted cameras running this whole movie just focused on his muscles. So I guess (laughs) they they pulled a camera away at some point to focus on his mullet, his curly long hair. And then his does he have hazel eyes or are they blue eyes? They did a close-up on his eyes, but his sparkly eyes, I love that they just give us a close-up on his earring. And then the first line, uh, waitress says, how's the gumbo? And he says, a tragedy. (laughs) It's such a sensual introduction, too. All those dissolves, you could just really feel the textures of Van Damme in this introduction. It's amazing. This introduction really shows you that John Woo is going for a Western movie and a Western tone because this is like the introduction of so many Western characters. But instead of being at the saloon bar top, he's sitting at a a small diner having gumbo. (laughs) Right. I was going to point Nick to that, too. And I think, Nick, you could probably speak to the score a little bit here because it definitely has a Western vibe. But it also is that like a lap steel or like a. Like, what kind of instrument is that in the score here? It definitely feels like they're paying homage to, like, the culture here in New Orleans and, like, maybe the Zydeco music, too, a bit. But 
it has that same Western vibe to it as well. Like we're watching like a Sergio Leone movie or something. I'll tell you. So the score is as weird as hell, man. It's done by Graham Revel, who did the score for The Crow as well. He wrote a pretty long introduction to the soundtrack, and he just incorporated so much weird stuff into this, man. He does have that lap steel going for that Western feel, but he also has like a lot of different New Orleans things. Like obviously you have some brass here, but then he also incorporated these Japanese drums and these Japanese artists that he just wanted to get into the movie soundtrack as well, just to make it more eccentric. So it's really strange. It's a lot of different things. Kind of like his Crow soundtrack too. I know you weren't a huge fan of that one, Jordan. Did you like this one better soundtrack wise? I did. I mean, it, it worked for what I think John Woo was going for here. Like Jason said, that this feels very much like a Western, but set in New Orleans with John claude Van Damme maybe doing a Cajun accent. <laughs> I'm just so used to Van Damme being Van Damme that I, I didn't think he was even trying to do any type of accent. At times it feels like he's trying to do some type of Creole thing. He never goes far enough that it doesn't just feel like Van Damme being Van Damme, in my opinion. Right. I'm pretty sure they set the movie in New Orleans to try to make an excuse for his accent, right? Like, wasn't that right. one of the original reasons <laughs> they did that? Yeah, that's what I read. <laughs> Which I'm just like, that's such a weird choice to make a movie around that. I don't know. Like, just put John claude Van Damme. I mean, it, it could be in New Orleans, but that doesn't have to be the reason it's in New Orleans to, like, try and disguise his accent as a cajun accent because yeah it it sounds like most of the time it's just him speaking in his normal accent but then he says things like me tinks that's a bad idea <laughs> like he, he says tinks it's a bad idea like i don't know just a very outdated like weird stereotyped cajun way to talk i don't know so there's moments there where i'm like wait is he doing an accent <laughs> Is he trying to be Creole? I don't know. <laughs> but for this movie, is there a better way that he could have talked? No, of course not. But there's, you could, I mean, he's a longshoreman, so you could easily just say that he's traveled the world and this is just where he ended up. <laughs> it is bizarre that they would try and make him have some of that slang when it's clear that he couldn't even be from here. Right. He's a universal traveler, a universal soldier, so to speak. Ooh, yeah, <laughs> I was hoping you'd go there. <laughs> so... Lady comes in a restaurant to make a call. She's flashing her money everywhere. Van Damme sees it and some thugs see it. I like how Van Damme just kind of hangs out outside the restaurant until these guys attack her. And then he kicks the crap out of them. And his line. Now take your big stick and your boyfriend and find a bus to catch. This is a great scene. This is a great scene. Again, it reinforces the Western tropes. He's the modern cowboy here stepping into town as the onlookers watch him beat like three or four guys. This is where we see a bunch of the woo trademark slow motion shots. And uh, I mean, he sweep kicks a guy so hard that the guy f lands on Van Damme's back as he's falling, which is awesome. <laughs> so, so good. good. I love the slow-mo effect of him pulling his... He's wearing this black trench coat the whole movie. He pulls the coat back as if he's going to reveal a gun on his hip, like in a classic Western. Yeah. But it's just his leg. <laughs> it's just corduroys. <laughs> the, yeah, it's just corduroys that is like, oh, I, I've got my leg here. <laughs> and then he just destroys <laughs> everybody with pretty much using almost just that leg. 
which is insane. Yeah, that scene was great and really prescient. They try to excuse the how all these insane things are happening in broad daylight in New Orleans, you know, a major city in America, because the police are on strike. But of course, obviously, we're recording down here near New Orleans. And right now, what's going on in New Orleans they're down to almost 800 cops and they're supposed to have, I think, 2300 to where like city officials like crime has gotten so bad. They're calling for the National Guard to come down there. And I feel like this movie kind of predicted that that's kind of how New Orleans has been the past year and a half. It's a bummer. And this movie yeah. kind of predicts that they need Van Damme. We need to send Van Damme down to New Orleans to get the situation straightened out. If you're from that area and somebody asks you to hand out porn flyers, just say no, because it leads down deadly paths. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> if there's one job you should not take in New Orleans, it's that. <laughs> Obviously, a lot of people didn't get that message, though, because that porn flyer guy had like a whole line around the block just waiting for those flyers. Like, yeah, you know, it, it's early 90s. So phone sex is still uh, a big thing. So I guess he had enough revenue to pay all these guys to hand out these flyers. Enough people were calling in for the phone sex. That line was crazy to get in there. Uh, it it looked like a Disneyland ride. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, of course, Van Damme can just like, you know, step past everybody and like walk in and take control. Nick, you mentioned the police on strike because I'm thinking like, OK, what's Van Damme's motive here? Like, what's the deal? You know, he's hanging around to save this lady. and You're not quite sure why. I mean, he sees the money earlier on. So you're like, OK, well, maybe he's going to save her and then think he can get some money out of it. But then, you know, we he just kind of walks away like he's just presented as this ultimate hero badass. Right. He just appears, kicks these guys asses and then walks away in slow mo as she just stares at him like in awe and wonder. And then, you know, next scene, the police are on strike. So then that gets my mind working like, oh, is, is Van Damme just like this New Orleans vigilante? Now he's he's got to step in because the police are falling down on the job. Yeah, he's uh, again, he's that classic Western like I'm going to take this town on my back type of thing. I mean, although there is one police officer working at that station, probably the worst <laughs> cop I've seen in a movie in a very long time. <laughs> oh, yeah. You got a missing person. Uh, just catch me tomorrow. I've had oh, a long day. This this lady just pissed me off, especially because in the background of that scene, you can see in her like little cubicle, it's got a sign that says it's not the hours you put in. It's what you put into those hours. And this lady's not doing shit. I mean, this is a a town where she's apparently the only working cop and she's. We start the scene with her, I guess it's her birthday, and she's got like a little Danish that you'd get out of the vending machine with a, a candle in there. And, uh, you know, Yancey Butler walks in to file a missing persons report, and this cop just looks so inconvenienced. I was surprised that there wasn't a line like at the porn flyer station outside of this police station because there's so much going on there. But she has nothing to do, looks so annoyed when Yancey Butler comes in, wants nothing to do with this case. And then when she, like, gives her a lead and sends her on her way, she seems annoyed that Yancey Butler's character didn't say thank you. I was so infuriated by this scene. I was mostly wondering, why does she put her cake in the file cabinet? Oh, she's going to burn down this police station. We're not going to have any cops left. Right, her cake with the lit candle on top. Yeah, she doesn't realize you can blow it out and light it again, apparently. Just a great cop all around. Next scene, we have 
the Yancey Butler character talking to Van Damme about her father. And it just struck me kind of funny, this whole movie that Yancey, you know, later she finds out her, her father's dead, but she understands that her father was homeless. And it seems like she's more upset this whole movie that her that her father could have possibly been homeless than he actually died. He's like, I think my father was homeless. He was basically living out of a shopping cart. Like she's so upset about this. But like, dude, your your father's dead. Like no matter what his conditions were, like he died. But I don't know. She seemed way more concerned about his homelessness than anything. Well, what do we think about Yancey in general here? Because this is an actress that she was in a few things for a short amount of time. And then she kind of vanished. I don't know. To me, she kind of has the crazy eyes just a little bit. She does have the crazy eyes. Yeah, it seemed like her entire character was, I'm going to look at things and act shocked. That was basically (laughs) her only character trait. She is, aside from one small moment in the climax of this movie, is absolutely worthless on screen. She does nothing. (laughs) <laughs> at any moment aside from one small moment in the climax it, it was awful did you watch the director's commentary for the kino lorber version of this where there's two film scholars talking about the film jason did you see that <laughs> no i have not <laughs> so i listened to it and they're talking about her through the movie and in that scene that you're talking about they both said, well, she hasn't really done anything to this point. So it's good that he didn't make her like suddenly a stylized action hero for the final scene. Because if you were to go back and think about everything she's done to this point, it would make no sense. Unless maybe she shot lasers out of her eyes. That's the only thing I would buy. <laughs> that that would make sense. Yeah. It reminds me of the How I Met Your Mother episode about the crazy eyes. Y'all, have y'all seen that show or that episode? No. Yes basically the idea is like oh you meet a sweet girl but then like everybody can around you like knows that they have the crazy eyes but you know you don't find out until later that she has the crazy eyes and you know she's like a complete psycho she and they have the same all the girls in that episode have the same look in their eyes that yancey butler does in this so she definitely could have walked off the set of this and you know years later played a part in that episode because yeah definite crazy eyes you know she's trying to hire van damme he's this offshoreman trying to get on a job but he you know can't pay his union dues so he ends up having to take the job from her to help track down her father i love that when they're in the car later this is probably one of my like favorite laugh out loud moments of this movie where (laughs) they're talking about their names and she says it's nat that your parents name you for a bug no actually it's short for natasha natasha what kind of a name is chance well my mama took one (laughs) so good sounds like something like the first line about the bug it sounds like something brendan fraser would have said in encino man (laughs) right (laughs) but you know just we've got gnats down here in louisiana and you know more so mosquitoes so i don't know maybe it's just you know that culture just coming to the forefront in his character you know it's it's real real deep part of his character right that gnat culture (laughs) (laughs) then we get into the phone sex flyer guy like we said the whole line of guys waiting outside they had found some of these flyers in her father's stuff so this is why they 
tracker down here. Here we get to see the evil British henchman of Lance Henriksen again. He, I called him creepy British henchman until we get his name later, which is Van Cleef. Every shot of these characters in this scene, you know, Van Damme staring down Van Cleef, Van Cleef staring down Van Damme, phone sex guy, Nancy Butler, everything is in so much slow-mo in this moment that it looks like we're watching just still photographs at some times. <laughs> and that leads me to a question for you guys. What percentage of this movie do you think is in slow motion? Oh, easily 40%. Easily. Not enough. Not, yeah, not <laughs> enough. I like that answer. <laughs> He's South African, by the way. Yes. I, here's something that I've wondered. It's Arnold Vosloo. Do you think this is his real accent? Because usually he's got to put on, on like a fancy British accent or an American accent, but he is from there. Do you think this is how he actually talks? I think that this is his actual voice because I've seen him in other roles and he sounds very familiar so I, I think that this is probably his real voice. That's good to know. I also wonder how many of his lines he improved or if the dialogue in the script was just that amazing because he had so many classics in this movie. What a funny little man, eh? Wakey, wakey, you fat I've been looking all over for you. Randall, Randall, Randall. You were going to leave without saying goodbye? I know you didn't mean to hurt my feelings. Randall, I come back here. I cut me a steak. I love it. I love this line right after they leave where Natasha's kind of freaking out and Van Damme has to calm her down. And he says, if you want to find a daddy, you're going to have to work smarter, not harder. And, and it almost sounds like he says, you're going to have to work smart not hard like his accent is so bad in this moment or i had to watch it a couple of times like was he trying to to rhyme and then just like missed it because of his english lack you know lack of english but <laughs> i actually heard him say smarter not hotter uh, <laughs> her reaction is just like yeah <laughs> and then they walk away like that like his line there just fully convinces her to calm down and move on it's it's insane of course she does her surprise pikachu face first right <laughs> i think this next scene is where lance henriksen and van cleef uh, visit randall they beat the shit out of him cut off his ear but then they say they have a new client and they want the right guy this time and then they throw him a wad of money couldn't you just threaten this guy like hey you screwed up you better make it right next time but lance Hendrickson's like rubbing the money like ah see we got money and he's throwing it at him he's bleeding everywhere like couldn't you just keep the money if they weren't so violent they could have just said hey you know what you keep messing up you're not gonna get paid that's what a normal person would do in a normal world <laughs> <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> I read it as we have unlimited funds and you're easily replaceable. This money means nothing to us. That's how I took it. Right. Yeah. It's it's so little money compared to what they normally bring in. I mean, they're what getting paid half a million dollars from these guys that want to come hunt other humans. So, yeah, throw in like a little wad of cash, I guess. Yeah, means nothing to Lance Henriksen. I guess you could say it just further demonstrates his insanity <laughs> just like yeah. i'm gonna beat the crap out of you and then i'm gonna throw money at you to do your job right next time what did y'all think of the the gnarly ear cut obviously loved it it's a 
a clear nod to Reservoir Dogs, which came out the year before, which I'm a big fan of. Surprisingly, it, it looked like he was cutting this dude's earlobe off there. Uh, I, <laughs> I love the scene. Uh, we get into more background for these guys uh, looking for their next quarry, uh, looking into the military background of Chance, and obviously he's you know one of their targets. He's looking at the report of her father's death and he they have pictures of supposedly they found his body in a fire where he died and they have one of the dog tags in a bag but since this is john woo a random dove flies into his apartment (laughs) and lands on his two dog tags sending him a message to which van damme stares at and says yeah (laughs) he's got a very special relationship with birds in this movie according to the commentaries for hard-boiled and the killer they're spiritual figures the birds in his films they're they're like spiritual messengers or spiritual representatives so you can tell like this is the epiphany for jean-claude van damme in this movie sorry for boudreau this is his epiphany (laughs) that's right get it right it's chance boudreau so he goes to the crime scene I like how he immediately finds the dog tag in the rubble. You know, he's like kind of stirring around with a stick and he's like, oh, (laughs) dog tag. (laughs) It's got a hole in it. There's been some trouble here. You know, there's been some foul play. I do appreciate there's these two thugs that show up and just kind of start kicking the crap out of him. They surprise him. He gets some licks in. But correct me if I'm wrong. This might be one of the only scenes in the movie where he doesn't win a fight he's kind of taken down here and has to show up back at the police station all bloody yeah that would have never happened to seagal (laughs) because he would not have allowed it to happen Uh, have you ever noticed seagal never gets hit no matter who he fights he never even gets hit let alone like goes through any real trials but van damme he does get hit and you know what he gets taken out in this scene i know that Wu and other people in the set have said he has a big ego, but we say, you know what? He's a really interesting guy. No matter how big his ego is, he does get beat up in his movies, and he got beat up there. I liked it. Yeah, bringing up Seagal, I think that's one of the reasons why I could never stand Seagal. I just, I've always just kind of had a hate for that man in his movies, and I think it's the ego. I think it's the fact that he just seems like he takes himself way too seriously, and yeah, he doesn't ever kind of show that other side of himself or, you know, he's vulnerable or he's able to be taken down a little bit. So, yeah, I think that's one of the big reasons why I appreciated this scene and Van Damme being able to go there. This scene also has one of my favorite uh, quotes in the movie where the the evil henchmen tell him, Tell that bitch girlfriend of yours to point her titties north and step on the gas! Oh, it's so classic. So good. This next scene is Lance Hendrickson playing the piano like he wants to murder it. We're meeting the rich guy that uh, is talking to them about the next hunt. And he's chosen Van Damme's African-American friend from the shelter, Roper. That was kind of a shock. First, we're thinking Van Damme's going to be the next quarry. But I really dig the hunt for Roper scenes. I I feel like there's like obviously some kind of tragic social commentary there. But this part of the movie did feel like it drug a little bit for me. There's a couple things here that I want to highlight. First thing is these guys talk about they're so proud that the targets they pick have the tools necessary to survive. 
But the people that they're choosing are all, they're people that have been homeless for what appears to be long periods of time. These guys are not in any condition to be surviving these, these hunts. So I think the, that they highlight that. It's, it's kind of amusing. Uh, I also thought as we get to Elijah's hunt, which you mentioned, it, the ending of that hunt is wild in that everything they're doing is in plain view of an entire town of people just out and about having beers downtown in, in New Orleans. Like they're right. hunting this guy and murdering him in front of crowds. They're just doing nothing. Jason, right now while we're talking, you should Google New Orleans street race and see what just happened this past weekend. <laughs> I'll just say that cop cars were jumped on. People were run over. Traffic was stopped for hours and no one was arrested. <laughs> so that's where we are right now. We are there. Well, that's because of the one cop. Well, I guess I won't skip too far ahead. We haven't had a cop in the last 29 years. <laughs> <laughs> Took him out in hard target. To me, Roper being you know homeless, African-American man, you know, obviously just disenfranchised, basically kind of forced into this game. You know, he's a war vet and everything, but, you know, with seemingly no prospects. To me, there's just like this whole other kind of messed up, like racial and social angle here that, you know, these rich white guys or hunting this black man through a cemetery and then yeah, into a crowded street where he's, you know, begging people for help. And they're all just like, I don't have any change, man. I don't have any change. And then it's so tragic to me that at the end of this scene, he basically just kind of looks like he gives up and accepts his fate and turns to face his killers after everybody has denied him any help. And they just, like you said, just fill them full of bullets like in the middle of the street in front of everybody and nothing happens <laughs> just so sad and so tragic but i don't know also that like has kind of like a real world feel to it as well yeah it's weird that they're so concerned about the autopsy stuff because even if that uh, the guy doing the autopsies was found to have been committing crimes it doesn't appear that anything's going to happen to him anyway in this town <laughs> this is true so why is he even bothering covering it up right they shouldn't have even wasted money on him and jordan you got to point out too the guy that said ain't got no change man that was ted Raimi, sam Raimi's brother oh okay a lot of awesome stuff in the 90s and sam Raimi was brought in to sort of ghost direct this movie even though he didn't ghost direct it the studio just brought him in to kind of keep an eye on woo just in case he couldn't direct a movie which is so patronizing good gracious right. yeah, but thankfully right. Raimi just stayed out of his way big props to Sam Raimi for doing that you know because he you know he could have let his ego get the best of him and try and step in and fool with the project but you're right that was Ted Raimi now that you uh, say that I, I recognized him and I thought I was like oh that guy looks really familiar but I didn't put two and two together there that's really cool one of the greatest cameo artists of all time up there with Clint Howard. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought when Roper gets shot and killed and he's laying on the street, it almost seems like he breathes a sigh of relief when he dies in a way, which was just extra sadness. Like, oh, he's kind of thankful maybe in a way they took him out. Like, oh, I don't have to deal with this shit anymore. <laughs> it's also probably a product of good editing at that moment. I think the movie's terribly edited uh, in, for the most part, but... That scene, I think that in the work print version, that's where he gets like tries to get up for another round and they they put him down again. It also has as he's being killed, it has these weird freeze frames 
on people during oh right like they just freeze on different people's faces sometimes more than once which felt really weird that was strange i felt like that was just woo taking the slow motion to like another degree like we're just gonna freeze <laughs> the movie now it's just stop motion now <laughs> right what uh, next we get into randall the phone sex guy trying to get away but van cleef is you know one step ahead he's got a shotgun to his head and then we just get this gnarly super slow-mo like badass explosion of the windshield of this car going everywhere blood and glass flying and then the awesome like slow-mo bullet discharge the shell discharging from the shotgun not to like venerate this bad guy taking out this sleazy guy for sure but obviously it's not cool to shoot people in the face with a shotgun, <laughs> but it did look really cool. And he thought it looked cool, too. I love how Vasily looks around, not like, I hope no one saw that, but definitely like, I hope someone saw that. I'm so cool. <laughs> yeah, he was great in that moment. <laughs> but there's no way, like, later on, we see the front of that windshield, and we see that dude's head still attached somehow. That dude's head would have been chilly at that point. Very cold, right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some cold chili. <laughs> Uh, almost as much a tragedy as the gumbo at Van Damme. <laughs> so the detective shows up with Van Damme and the girl. You know, they've obviously pieced together at this point that, you know, something is going wrong in this city, that the father's death was, you know, more than just an accident and everything. So they show up in Van Cleef. This is kind of the, the moment where thing like the two things come together, where like their their search for the father... And Van Cleef and Lance Hendrickson's plot to basically skip town and get out of New Orleans because things are going awry. Everything kind of comes to a head here. And we have this epic shootout. Loved this scene. The cop finally tries to do something and <laughs> gets paid back with bullets. There's one point where she gives the gun to Van Dam, and it's basically like, it's your show now. <laughs> and uh, and he takes over. I love the kick. He kicks a dude straight off a motorcycle, which is awesome. In slow-mo. Of course. From 30 different angles. <laughs> it's it's so good. Yeah, I love this scene. And then it just keeps going. Oh, man, yeah. And yeah, once she hands over that gun, it's Van Damme versus Van Cleef. Then, like, the thugs in the van, the two guys that beat him up earlier, come barreling down the street in a van. Then you've got the motorcycle guys with machine guns. And somehow, like most of this movie, Van Damme's just got like a handgun and he somehow takes out like most of these people and it just goes insane from here. And no one can shoot but Van Damme. <laughs> but Van Damme, yeah. Because he can hit guys like in the face as they're, you know, barreling down the street in this van. He can, you know, pinpoint them right away. Or, you know, later he can, like, fire a shotgun while he's riding a horse into a helicopter and and take out guys. Uh, yeah, it's, it's completely ludicrous. But, you know, at this point, I think this movie is well established. You know, it's dealing in the land of ridiculousness. And you just kind of have to accept it for what it is. I mean, it is a John Woo movie after all. He then takes the motorcycle at the end and and basically surfs it into the truck to make it explode into just a giant ball of fire <laughs> yes it's so good yeah they have like this little chase he shoots one of the other motorbike guys and makes that motorbike explode then ramps over it 
then pins the driver of that motorbike like in the nuts against like another van or something <laughs> and then backs up again and then like it's a whole nother chase after that yeah and one thing that it's different for me now watching it when i was a teenager when i watched these scenes i thought man this is kind of stupid this is ridiculous this is dumb but watching it now i'm thinking this is awesome and the stuntmen in this scene are incredible like some guy really drove a motorcycle into this car and then flipped over the top of the car and then almost landed on his feet like that stunt guy almost pulled off a standing landing you know he kind of flips back a little bit but the stunt work in this scene is amazing i really admire a lot of the stunts here there's one guy that gets hit by the motorcycle and it's a real guy not a dummy and they drive with him on the bumper and then drive him into a wall of boxes and it's a real dude man there's some great stunts here. Yeah, it's it's insane. I love how when he crashes his bike into the front of the SUV, like y'all said, he uh, flips over it, lands on the other side, shoots you know a million bullets into it and the bike, which was leaking gas, and then it explodes in this giant explosion. And Van Damme's reaction, where he's like, "Yeah." <laughs> so I'm Van Damme in that moment, like watching this. I'm like, "Yeah, that's so cool." So he he just seems like so proud of himself at that moment. That was a great moment. It was definitely the antithesis of the cool guys don't look at explosions moments that we've seen in so many movies. He looks at that explosion and he is so proud of it. Right. Wilford Brimley is the cool guy in this movie because he does it, man. <laughs> he just rides his horse galloping away. He does not care. <laughs> that is one awesome explosion, though, when like the henchman is shooting at a barn or something with a... It looks like he's just shooting at it with a shotgun and then it immediately explodes and you have Brimley, the uncle of Van Damme, just riding this horse like away from this giant explosion. And that's probably one of my favorite scenes. Wilfred Brimley has dynamite everywhere, Jordan. Everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> he just looks like a little hobbit on, on this horse, like chugging <laughs> away, away from that explosion, though. It's so good. I skipped us again, though. We're not too Wilford Brimley. I'm sorry. I'm just really yeah. excited about Wilford yeah. Brimley. This is where I feel like the movie really does kind of kick into full throttle. They basically, at this point, declare we've got one last hunt before we leave New Orleans. And Van Damme and the girl have you know, gotten away. They've jumped onto a train. So now they're going off into the, the bayou. And Lance Hendrickson and Van Cleef and all the boys have to, to track them on his own territory. Because as the credit song tells us later, he was definitely born on the bayou. <laughs> that was a great needle drop at the end of the movie. Oh, so good. As they go through the swamps of the bayou, there's almost what looks like we're going to get a kiss scene, right? And yes. then, I mean, you have to describe what happens next. <laughs> so she is ready to pucker up. Like, she has obviously fallen head over heels for Van Am because... I don't know. I guess they don't give her much anything else to do in this movie. So he asked her, Do you trust me? Close your eyes. But as she closed her eyes, this just giant rattlesnake comes out of the tree. <laughs> and apparently, Van Damme only has eyes for the snakes because he grabs the snake and then just punches it in the face <laughs> and puts it to sleep immediately and then bites its rattler off, then sets the trap for a bad guy later as he trips over this booby trap, setting off the snake that comes out of the tree and miraculously just lands right on his face and bites this guy in the face. And Van Cleef then grabs the snake and they're all just super pissed off. Hendrickson is just at this point livid and he shoots the 
snake in the head and then explodes. <laughs> yeah, I think there was some dynamite in that snake head. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah that was a Brimley dynamite <laughs> stick stored away in that snake, baby. We're also just establishing that like this last 30 minutes of this movie, every single shot fired no matter what gun is being used is going to cause an explosion i'll go out on a limb here and and say that you know when she closes her eyes and looks like she's getting ready to pucker up for a kiss i would say that there is way more sexual chemistry between lance henriksen and arnold vosloo's characters than jean-claude van damme and yancey butler's because i felt no spark from them but i tell you what when van cleef and fushan are together it almost seems like they're a couple. Even their fight feels like a lover's quarrel near the end where Van Cleef wants to just kill Van Damme. Like, let's just get up in a helicopter and blow his head off. And Henriksen's like, no, what's wrong with you? I thought that you were a sportsman like me. We can't do that. It's got to be fair and square. You know, they have a little spat, but they still love each other. You know, there's still an understanding there. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some respect between the two of them because not until like the very end, do we see Henriksen do like his trademark thing where he just like grabs your lapels and screams in your face? So like he, you know, he doesn't give a shit about any of these other guys. He's just, you know, you idiots, go get him. He's pushing him and he's grabbing at him and he's kicking at him and stuff. But he doesn't treat uh, Van Cleef that way. Obviously, they have, you know, a more professional relationship or like you know, a deep respect for each other. But, you know, it gets testy. Th this, uh, this... <laughs> this relationship between the two of them. He really disrespects all those guys because he basically just grabs all the rich sociopaths from the area. He's like, if you give me $750,000, <laughs> you can hunt down Van Damme right now, which is insane, right? Like, give me $750,000 and go kill this guy. Henriksen is a genius. <laughs> he really is, yeah. He, he uses this as, like, a selling point. He, like, we have this most dangerous adversary to hunt down. We really need your help. But, yeah, pay us $750,000. <laughs> and you'll all probably die. And they do all die. All of them yeah. die. All 20 of them. But, Jordan, Wilford Brimley, buddy. Wilford Brimley, yes. everyone's uncle down here where we live, man. I feel like everyone's got to have an uncle or a friend's dad like this. I thought Brimley who's from Salt Lake City, Utah, I thought he nailed the crazy Cajun uncle, man. He's amazing living in this cabin way far away from everyone. And it's like he's just waiting for his nephew Chance that he raised because, you know, Chance's parents are both dead. He never knew them. But his uncle loves him and has been waiting for him to return. And this leads to a scene that I can just really connect to, which is that he shows up and Brimley's like, I know you got people chasing you. I can smell them. But that, in a, you know, his awesome Cajun accent. And then he asks right. him, do you still have my 30 odd six, which is his deer hunting rifle? And he says, no, a gator got it, <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> but then he says, I still got your shotgun. And the sexual, nearly pornographic way that Van Damme picks up the dusty old shotgun and the camera is like softly panning around it. And he goes and blows off the dust. And there's a slow-mo of the dust flying off. I can totally relate to that because <laughs> I definitely went home one time and my dad was like, hey, you want to get in on this duck hunt? And I've got to tell you guys something. I don't know if, if you know about this, Jordan. So this movie has a special place in my heart. And that's because they filmed it right next to my house. Oh, <laughs> They filmed Hard Target, the entire end of this movie. They filmed 
at the Alma Sugar Refinery, which is in Lakeland, Louisiana, right next to Glen, Louisiana, where I was born and raised. My dad was a farmer. We grew up duck hunting in the area. I had duck hunting on my class ring, right? From birth, you're handed a shotgun. You're like, you know, we're going to hunt birds for food. Our diet is going to be half birds that we kill in the wild and half corn that we grow behind our house. And they filmed this movie and we're all psyched, even though we never saw any of the filming. They filmed it at Alma, like a mile away from our house. And it was a really exciting experience. So in between our house and Alma, my dad had a huge farming shed. He still has it. Now, my dad's a crawfisherman now. He's a crawfisherman. He doesn't do crops anymore. But back then he did crops. So all his tractors and stuff, he'd keep under this giant shed. So this is a true story. <laughs> I'm not making this up. It might sound crazy. This is for real. So the ending scene of this movie, which we're going to get into, features about a billion pigeons. I mean, there are so many pigeons. And it's John Woo, right? And I think that he said, instead of doves, we'll use pigeons because it's more realistic here, even though we've got a lot of doves where I'm from. So when the movie was over, after they finished filming, they just let them go. They just l released them into the wild. And I don't remember the exact count of pigeons. I know it was well over 200 pigeons that they set free. So guess where the pigeons went when they finished filming it? I'll tell you where they went. <laughs> so my dad comes home one day, and I'll, I'll try to imitate my dad's voice. My dad walks into the house. Me and my brother are in there. He says, all them damn pigeons from that movie came to my shed. They're shitting all over the tractors. <laughs> sure enough, all the pigeons flew to my dad's shed, and they were just pooping on everything, which in this movie, because pigeons just do nothing but eat and poop, right? So they pooped on a guy's face in this movie in the final scene, and the guy shoots at them with a machine gun. Well... <laughs> We were big mistake. <laughs> right, right. Well, them pooping on my dad's tractors was also a big mistake because we were then charged to grab our shotguns. And I have to say this to the world. If you enjoyed the movie Hard Target and you were attached to those pigeons and you wondered what happened to those pigeons after the movie, we murdered them. <laughs> Over 200 pigeons flew to my dad's shed and pooped on and were ruining his equipment. And we had no choice. 12-year-old uh, me and my younger brother and my dad, and a few uh, family, friends, and acquaintances, we had to shoot them all. We had to put oh. all the pigeons down. So all the pigeons in this movie, the heroic pigeons who are giving Van Damme epiphanies and helping him out in the shootout, they all died at my hand. And I'm sorry right. for that. But not really, because they really were ruining everything. Guess who had to clean those tractors? Me. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How many times did Van Damme then come back and roundhouse kick you in the face? for killing his beloved dubs. <laughs> <laughs> we never saw him when they were filming. And it wasn't a long shoot in that area. Cause you know, this was only like a 65 day shoot overall. I think they filmed it Alma for less than two weeks. Like it might've been 10 days max. And I don't think he was there for too many of the days, but it, it was always like, Oh, I saw Van Damme. You know, somebody would say they saw him, but we never saw him, man. I wish we had seen him. I wish I could have just seen his hair you know, or maybe gone and, and collected some of his hair because, you right. know, that mullet was going everywhere. <laughs> just want to touch that mullet. <laughs> right, right. And I know I've hijacked this episode, but I'll just end this insane monologue with this comment. How the hell does his shirt stay tucked in this entire movie? He's wearing tight, tight blue jeans to show off them Van Damme cans, but his shirt stays tucked in the whole time. At work, I sit at a desk all day. I can't keep my shirt tucked in. Every time I stand up, it's <laughs> popping out. How the hell is he doing all these kick flips and shooting people and his shirt just stays tucked in? It's ludicrous.
He's got muscles that hold the shirt in for him. He's, he's got that many muscles. <laughs> no, it's the, uh, the the extra 20 minutes of the work print are just him retucking his shirt in. And they just cut it all <laughs> off. That's what it was. Yeah. Amazing. Well, let me ask you this, Nick. Does your crazy Cajun uncle, uh, does he make moonshine and say, good whiskey make jackrabbit slap the bear? Because that's the first thing that Walter Brimley says in this movie. <laughs> that line is incredible. See, unfortunately, though, like I, as I've told you before, we're not Cajun, right? My So my people live in Glen, which is like a tiny little in the middle of all these French people, and the, the Glens are, are Irish. So I don't have right. a Cajun uncle, damn it. I don't have one, but all, all my friends did. So I'm basically... Yeah. it on on them for sure so they had a crazy uncle that you know had jackrabbit slapping bears because of oh, their yeah. whiskey yeah he should have called it moonshine though because a lot of people down here are around where my parents live because unfortunately i'm not living out there anymore i'm living here in baton rouge world capital of street racing but you know when <laughs> people say moonshine i was a little bummed he i feel like they got a lot of details right there's even how did we not mention this did you guys notice this sign where they go into the place where the guy's handing out the flyers and on the door it says live from Araby, kiki and her wonder feet yeah. oh yeah i saw i saw that yeah i didn't know what to make of that have you been to Araby, dude <laughs> no i have not <laughs> it's amazing i've been uh, almost everywhere that they mention in this too because you know grand isle which always comes up in the show like bayou lafouche leads to grand isle which they filmed most of this movie along that, that's not in New Orleans or at Alma at the sugar refinery. So this movie is near and dear to my heart with the locations, man, for sure. And I like how detailed they are with stuff, but he should have called the Whiskey Moonshine. Hey! So now we have Boudreaux. He gets his trusty shotgun from the uncle. He rides away on the horse. I was kind of confused about this bit where he leaves the girl and the uncle behind. He's saying, like, now I'm going to go hunt them. But then the bad guys show up at the uncle's place that he then immediately blows up. And they run away on horses. So I was like, okay, I guess Van Damme knew that they weren't going to chase after the girl and the uncle who, you know, run away in the opposite direction. Van Cleef just happens to be able to track him in the opposite way, you know, by the horse tracks and everything. So a little confused there, but hey, do what you can to keep the movie going, I guess, and get a few more explosions in there. This is a great scene. And by the way, uh, Uncle Duvet family member of the year he drops everything he's doing to help out his nephew he might have had plans that day hit the home depot go to applebee's not anymore now he's like yeah i'll take this girl and we'll just go on horseback and oh by the way you can blow up my whole house i don't care let's do it (laughs) right yeah he loves chance so much Like, was that necessary? Like, he just had the dynamite ready to go. Like He's been wanting to do that for years, man. He's just been looking Chance for an gonna excuse. Chance is going to come by one day, and I'm going to need to rig my whole house up with dynamite. Because <laughs> some crazy hunters are going to be after him. And I'm going to look so badass riding off of my horse while it explodes behind me, clutching oh. my bow. That scene is so good. He's got his bow and arrow in the air. He's hooting and hollering. 
leaving on this horse. I swear to God, I thought he was just going to float straight to the moon with that horse. Like we were going to get an <laughs> E.T. moment where he's just like his horse is galloping silhouetted against the moon because it was majestic. Yeah, he's yeah. going so fast on that horse. And I guess maybe it's the explosion that helps propel him. But yeah, it's almost <laughs> like he could just start flying in the air. So now they're chasing Van Damme and they chase him into this old, well, you know, after a lot of helicopter fights and uh them after him on the horse in the woods kind of leading him into this old factory this is an insane storage house yeah with these just you know at one point they blow off like the whole part of this wall that leads into the mardi gras float <laughs> warehouse which just you know becomes this kind of like fun house like crazy carnival land where van damme can hide and float down on giant floats and shoot at the bad guys and make everything explode. And at one point, uh, Lance Hendrickson's coat catches on fire, which apparently in real life in one of the takes, the coat actually did catch on fire and he just kept going with it and like starts to take off his coat and all the actors are kind of standing around looking at him and he improvised like, go get him, you idiots, just to keep the scene going. <laughs> Which to me is just, you know, for this kind of big silly action movie shows his commitment to this, you know, his craft at least where he's just going to be on fire. Like he's not just a little bit on fire, like his whole back is in flames. He said, this is what you sons of bitches paid for. (laughs) That was his ad lib line, which is amazing. That's great. Because it works on so many levels, right? Like, they did pay him to be in this movie and to catch on fire, but also these guys paid him $750,000 to get their asses kicked and shot up by Van Damme. So it's it's almost meta. It's amazing. I'm not from New Orleans, so I got to ask you guys, is there nowhere in the city that these floats could be stored? Because these seem really out of the way. (laughs) <laughs> that yeah, is a there, great point there actually is there's uh there are multiple locations where they keep floats there are even some that you can visit that they'll charge you a fee to go and and look at the floats plaquemine louisiana which if you go down highway one which leads to bayou lafouche there's a warehouse there too and it's just in the middle of the downtown area so this place does not exist man where they film this like the alma refinery is usually just full of like sugar husks Uh, Yeah, there's no such place as this in real life, but I love it in the movie. It looks great. I'm so happy that they made that choice, though. (laughs) However unrealistic it is, it's amazing. This weird kind of wacky place that goes with those floats. But uh, Nick, you mentioned John Woo's pigeons and the motorcycle guy at one point messing up. He gets crapped on and he shoots up at the pigeons and you see the feathers come down. I mean, maybe... They use some of the the dead pigeons y'all killed later for these feathers. I don't know when they shot this scene, but obviously this is a bad move for John Woo, you know, and then Van Damme, you just channeling John Woo's rage, I guess, because he throws this gas can at the guy and then fires. And then you get a giant explosion that propels the guy on his bike out of a window in a blaze of fire out onto like the feet of Hendrickson and all the goons and it's just total ridiculousness that's just one of the the best shots of the movie this motorbike just being blown out of this giant window and this guy still on it and everything on fire 
All from this tiny gas can that Van Damme shot at, like, one time. Arnold Vosloo has the most amazing line at that. It appears your trophy is ripping us a new orifice. Yeah, so good. How did no one laugh when he said that? Like, how did he not laugh? That was incredible. Oh, oh uh, and Van Damme also says, hey, pigeon, to the pigeons. Love right. <laughs> but yeah, so they screw up again. They blast a big hole in the wall where Van Damme can lead them into the wacky warehouse full of the Mardi Gras floats. And this is where sparks really fly. We have Van, like literally, because Van Damme's firing the shotgun rounds, starting huge explosions everywhere. This is where the code catches on fire. I love how he runs out of ammunition, Van Damme, at one point. He kills one of the motorcycle guys to steal his handgun, turns around, sees one of the hunters, and fires it upside down ad infinitum at this hunter guy who's chomping on a cigar. He shoots into his chest like 30 times without running out of bullets, and then also roundhouse kicks him in the face slash cigar and this is another moment where Van Damme just has the biggest smile on his face in this shot where they go wide and you see him making the kick. He just looks so happy. <laughs> he's clearly doing like a Western revolver move with the gun, the way he's like pulling the trigger with one hand while holding the gun with the other. I, I loved it. It was amazing. And I love how we the guy has this fabulous American flag shirt, right? I love how Van Damme, <laughs> after he shot him, it was eight times with the gun upside down, doing his amazing trigger move, and then, you know, kicks him in the face, knocks the cigar out, and then he says, sorry about the shirt. Because I think he thought that was a cool shirt, you know? <laughs> right. Oh, man, I need to get me one of those shirts after this is all over with. <laughs> He's very patriotic, Boudreaux, you know? It's because he put the holes in the American flag. <laughs> That's right. right. <laughs> we have to talk about the part where Van Damme is waiting for these guys and he's just standing there with a pigeon on his shoulder. Do you think it's the <laughs> same pigeon that he called out to that that like somehow got away after he shit on that biker? <laughs> I think right. he trained that pigeon in that moment to shit on the biker to distract <laughs> him so that he could then throw the gas can at him. I think it was all part of Van Damme's plan. <laughs> The Van Damme plan. For Wu, I think these are messengers from God. So this is like a spiritual, supernatural pigeon. I don't even think it exists on our plane. Oh. Mm. Maybe the pigeon sent him a message, was telling him like, hey, there's a gas can over there. You should use that. <laughs> it's going to cause a way bigger explosion than you'd expect. My friends will distract him. <laughs> <laughs> and then shortly after that, you see Van Damme like slowly lowering himself down on a bird or like a dragon or whatever on a big oh it's float. a pelican yeah it's a big pelican uh, there you go which oh. is our state bird is the white pelican huh it's very, on our flag our beautiful louisiana flag very spiritual connection to the birds in this movie for sure mm -hmm. so at this point as he's in the warehouse it feels like the bad guys just start popping up like a whack-a-mole game to be shot and killed like they're just popping out of the floats at random for Van Damme just to take out with his handgun or shotgun or whatever he has left. Oh, this is balls to the wall, like bonkers action. There's one thing I am confused about, and it's Wilford Brimley. Well, I, okay, I get why Wilford Brimley comes to the warehouse. What I don't understand is why Yancey Butler is at the warehouse. Because at one point, he does send her away to go get help. He, he says, like, call the phone or get to the phone or whatever. 
So clearly Call the she, sheriff. Yeah, like yeah. clearly she leaves, but then comes back. I have no idea why she was with him. And so she can grab one of the guy's guns, and then the thug comes after her and is like, You fucking bitch. But, like, why? <laughs> this girl did nothing to this guy, but he just immediately calls her this word. And then I love how she just pulled, you know, she's basically hiding the gun very obviously behind her back. And then he's just like, you fucking bitch. <laughs> and she pulls out the gun and shoots him. I think she shoots him in the nads first. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Continues to go up his body with the gun. <laughs> it's it's definitely one of my favorite parts. So I'm so glad she was there just to do that. <laughs> And then, yeah, Brimley, like, sort of injured, like, he injures the Arrow guy, but it has to be Van Damme in the end to take him out. And this just reminds me of earlier, we have Henriksen outside, he's like, we've got this guy cornered, it's 20 to 1. And there's just, I mean, just to reflect on action movies in general here, there's just something, I think, just really thrilling, especially, like, from the 90s in this genre to see just this utter ridiculousness like you know this is completely impossible like you were talking about last samurai in our bonus episode nick about tom cruise being invincible and like not being able to be taken down like you've got all these guys with machine guns and you've got one van damme who's taking out 20 guys basically by himself but there's just the ridiculousness of that is obviously there but there's just something really satisfying about that at the same time you know just to kind of like live vicariously through van damme and to have these action movies in the 90s basically like where you'd show up for this one actor you'd be like oh it's the new van damme or it's the new schwarzenegger and you know they're taking on impossible odds and it's completely ridiculous but there's just something also so satisfying about seeing this one true badass character take on all these guys and come out on top in the end while flipping through fire constantly <laughs> constantly landing on his feet <laughs> the flips so good so good you know honestly i could not appreciate it again when i was a teenager i think i was jealous of van damme so i was like why doesn't he get hit by the bullets why does he get to do all this unrealistic stuff but now i don't care i'm like that's awesome Amazing. I wish that even more people would miss him when he's at close range. Like at the end of the movie, Hendrickson, by the way, we didn't mention this. So he has a gun that only contains one bullet. So every time he fires it, he's got to reload, which fits his personality in this film. And that he really just wants like the challenge of a hunt. Like he's a sportsman. Like when he gets these rich clients, he makes it so easy for them. He gives them motorcycle dudes to kick the people they're hunting so they can't get away and run to the West Bank. Because that's where they're trying to get to. They're trying to get to the West Bank of New Orleans. That's you got to get to the river. But he's just got this one bullet gun, which is so bad. But at the end of the movie, and I mean bad in the 90s way, not bad in a literal way. Right. Well, it could also be a bad choice, but we'll get to that. <laughs> well, it is a bad choice. And later yeah. when Van Damme jumps and, and kicks him when he's being fired at, I, I'm pretty sure Henriksen has the gun aimed like square at Van Damme's testicles. Like it should have blown his entire crotch off. But no, his kicking power is so strong. It's like he kicked the shotgun uh, BBs away, like in midair. I don't know how that happened. And I didn't like that when I was a teenager. I like it now. I'm fine with it. Oh, yeah. 
I'm I'm totally fine that Van Dam can run so fast in slow mo. I guess because everybody else is in slow mo, it gives him some sort of advantage. But you have multiple times where he's got those hands up like daggers almost, and he's just running in slow mo at the camera. He runs straight into Henriksen later as he's firing that one bullet at him. But he's you know he's so fast and can kick so hard that I guess he gets what like shot in the shoulder, shot in the arm or something, but he can still pull through and kick Hendrickson so hard that blood spurts out of his mouth. <laughs> These bad guys can't shoot a bucket that's two feet in front of them, but Van Damme can jump from 25 feet away and then precision <laughs> kick you in like a two millimeter bullet hole in your chest, like perfectly. So that's exactly. why he spits all the blood out. It's amazing. Uh, all while carrying a live grenade in his hand the whole <laughs> yeah. time. The grenade, yes. <laughs> so good. Well, we're jumping over Van Cleef versus Boudreaux, which this is a great moment where they're back to back, you know, on different sides of a wall. And I love their dialogue here, which makes no sense. It's Van Cleef saying, Boudreaux, 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 I've been looking all over for you. And then Van Damme says, you've been looking in the wrong places. <laughs> <laughs> and then Van Cleef says, that's good. I know you wouldn't want to hurt my feelings. Why does he keep saying, I I know you wouldn't want to hurt my, he says this multiple times throughout the movie, right? Like, I think he says this to the phone sex guy earlier too. He's an emotional guy, man. He's just got emotions on his sleeve. Yeah. He's very in tune with himself. (laughs) But how do you even describe this gunfight? Cause this is, this is insane. They're firing at each other through the walls through glass windows at one point. Other guys are coming at Van Damme. Grenades are going off, chunking bodies like ragdolls as Van Damme shoots these guys with the grenades. Van Damme instinctually then jumps through a giant window as Van Cleef throws a grenade into said window. And Van Damme flies on his back toward Van Cleef, like flying under a table and shoots at up at him like probably a thousand times like without <laughs> stopping and van cleef still has the gall to stand there with the bullet holes all in his chest and take a grenade from his grenade vest and he drops it at van damme who then catches it it's so insane it's a great gunfight scene which like i said this is the moment that kind of calls back to uh, hard boiled where you have two characters facing off in a similar fashion between walls Yeah, this is a shot that he's done many times. And it's that theme of like he and Voslo, like they respect each other because they're kind of two sides of the same coin. So it's the same thing you've seen in Hard Boiled. You'll see it again in Face Off. And Face Off, right? Yeah, it's like the reflection. You're, You're almost shooting at the reflection of yourself. Yes, two crazy guys with really over the top accents. Yes, and I love the slide under the table. I feel like. Yeah. He kind of merged like an homage there to the opening scene of Hard Boiled, where Chow Yun Fat does that same move where he slides on his back and then shoots up, which is amazing. And then I Die Hard, where he shoots the terrorist through the table. Now he doesn't shoot through the table here, but I feel like the angles are a little similar. So I really appreciated that as well. I really liked the Hendrickson versus Van Damme fight as we get into that, and just the the insanity of Van Damme hiding in all these floats 
And this is where Henriksen is just kind of starting to lose it. He's just getting really <laughs> pissed. <laughs> he can't find this guy. And Van Damme's taunting him like, how does it feel to be the hunted? But uh, I couldn't hardly make out some of the stuff that Henriksen was spouting out here. Like, I've I've shot a weapon in every country. You'll never kill me. Like, I'm invincible, basically. <laughs> I wasn't quite sure everything he was saying there, but... uh it is pretty awesome when Van Damme then like triple flips out of barrels on fire and shoots Hendrickson with his shotgun, like as he's like in air falling from his flip. And then Hendrickson then is like blown back at least 30 feet from this one shotgun blast. <laughs> it's quite amazing. And then he's just obliterated. But then he's still up. Well, then he's <laughs> still up. He's somehow like still alive and able to take the girl hostage and stab the uncle with one of the arrows. You know, she's there again, just kind of being worthless. And (laughs) she, I thought there was going to be some kind of trickery when he asks her to load his weapon. So he's got her like in a headlock or whatever. And he asks her to load his one bullet into his one gun. And I thought, okay, there's going to be some funny business here. Not really. She just loads it and Van Damme's just really fast. <laughs> exactly. Like, it's pretty a simple setup. But I was thinking the same thing. Like, she's going to drop the bullet, like, or not put it in the right way or, you know, fumble with it or something. And then that would give Van Damme a chance to to run and kick him in the face. But no, it's just Van Damme versus bullet and Van Damme wins. <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the classic classic action hero move of putting a grenade in the pants <laughs> so good well and then before this Hendrickson asks him why are you doing this and van damme's line is poor people get bored too <laughs> that feels like something van damme came up with that day it's just like <laughs> i'm gonna say this <laughs> Is that why Henriksen was so surprised when he said it? Because his reaction is just, oh. <laughs> I like how he then headbutts him. And it's another <laughs> 30 feet that he flies back into one of the Mardi Gras floats. And Henriksen, I guess instead, he, he does actually fish the grenade out of his pants. But instead of maybe like throwing it away or trying to get rid of it, he tries to unscrew it and like, you know, deactivate the grenade. But. It's no cigar and then kablamo. Well, he does unscrew it, but he doesn't keep the fuse far enough away from the grenade, like the the body of it. So when it catches, like when the spark lights, it still catches it. It's a really rookie move. It does not seem like something he would do. Right. And he's really pleased with himself for a moment there. He's (laughs) like, aha, I I did it. But then the spark happens and he's like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Whoops. Right. I love how the credits roll as they're walking out of this factory. This is the last shot. And like we said before, it's born on the bayou. Get a little credence here right at the end. Perfect nod to Boudreaux's character. So just great, awesome, action-packed ending for this insane movie. I think the thing that stood out to me the most this time watching it was Russell Carpenter's cinematography. Not to get too fancy with Hard Target, but this movie... It looks great in 4K. It also looks great on your 6-inch phone screen on Tubi. This is just a pretty movie, man. All the interiors in New Orleans, there's a scene where Yancey Butler goes into a house to talk to an older woman when she's looking for a father. And that house is so lushly 
lit and that dressed, it's amazing. So I think just the look of this movie, it it looks great. It looks really good. I just want to put that out there. Hard target, good looking movie. Russell Carpenter did a great job. Yeah, very cool atmosphere throughout. Well, I think the movie's fantastic. I think it's so entertaining. And you can see a lot of movies that you look at and say, all right, that's a Van Damme movie. But this is, even with the American system probably working against him in certain aspects, this is a John Woo movie through and through. Like all of his highlights that he brought from his Hong Kong movies, he adds in here. And I think it just it it works for me. And you can see those early stages of his American career where he would obviously then go do Broken Arrow and face off. And it's it's just a really great starting point. I love this movie and uh, not ironically, I think it's just really, really entertaining. I agree. I like you said, entertaining. It's hard not to watch this and be bored at all. It's super fun. Like I said, there's a lot of ridiculous moments that make me laugh out loud with some of the line readings and some of the dialogue, but the action is hard to deny, just like how thrilling it is and how satisfying it is to see Van Damme take out all these guys. And like you said, all the John Woo-isms, I think it's just a perfect amalgamation of John claude Van Damme and John Woo put together and like what they both bring to the table, so... It's really fun. This is the second time I've watched this in you know the last couple of years, so it was I think even better on this rewatch. I'd probably say Broken Arrow is still probably one of my favorites from John Woo, and that probably has a lot to do with Christian Slater being you know love of my life and <laughs> John Travolta just being so insane in that movie. But uh, this, yeah, I feel like this is. Uh, probably way better than what it gets credit for despite some of the, you know, the clumsy acting and some of the off kilter dialogue and, you know, Yancey Butler basically doing nothing <laughs> and the terrible editing, the terrible editing. Oh yeah. It's, it's really bad. But at the same time, some of those action scenes very well put together, very thrilling, very satisfying. So I feel like without some finesse in that regard, it, it wouldn't work quite as well as it does. So it's definitely got a lot going for it sure star ratings guys uh you know we are you going out of five or are you going out of ten well nick goes out of ten and i go out of five so so i go out of seven <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm from the force five podcast so i guess i gotta go five uh i will go three and a half out of five yeah i'm gonna be boring and, and completely agree with both of you this is a, a seven out of ten for me big time agree with both of you on a much grander scale of 10 which is the perfect scale (laughs) always tell jordan full john woo out of 10 yeah (laughs) this movie actually made me want to do it out of 20 this is a 14 out of 20 guys (laughs) nice a 28 out of 40 before we move on we have movie connection to do with our previous movie so last time we covered serial mom with kathleen turner as the suburban housewife gone mad, killing various people throughout her Baltimore city, directed by John Waters. Yeah, how are we going to connect Serial Mom to Hard Target, Nick? Do you got anything for us? Oh, I do, Jordan, actually. (laughs) Oh, nice. (laughs) So I never do, but this time I do. So Serial Mom, the last, well, the second to last murder that she commits, the, the last murder she commits before she goes to trial, what does she do? She set someone on fire, Jordan. She set someone on fire, and everyone just watches. 
dumbfounded <laughs> before they start cheering. What happens to Lance Hendrickson in this movie? He gets set on fire and 20 guys just stare at him like, just like Serial Mom. Now, they don't start cheering on his burning demise, which they, they should have, because then if he's got 750, well, they could get their money back, right? They could have all gotten their money back if he had died. So I don't get why they weren't cheering on for him to burn either. But that's what I, I think the best connection for me is, is the burning and the just total, eh, cool, you're burning and that's awesome. Right. Well, which is also similar to Elijah's character uh, being gunned down in the middle of New Orleans in front of a giant crowd and nobody doing anything or saying anything. I thought of, you know, that when she set Scotty on fire in the club at the end of Serial Mom before that is also a little chase. Right. So she's kind of on the hunt for Scotty and then, yeah, sets him on fire. So it's kind of like a hunt and it's pretty over the top. So that. Yeah, I thought of that same scene, actually, for our connection. And then, like we said, we've covered uh, John Woo before, you know, to connect it to Broken Arrow. Check out that that episode if y'all haven't listened to that and the Surviving the Game episode. So based on the same material this came from. So Hmm. were the police on strike in Serial Mom as well? (laughs) They're just highly incompetent in Serial Mom. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Around about the same. Yeah. Yeah. level of involvement (laughs) (laughs) right so we usually start off the episode with the broken warrior review which we have a trivia battle the fallen warrior broken that's a broken warrior (laughs) you're just thinking of broken broken arrow arrow. that's right yeah which is our most popular episode by the way should we just rename our segment the broken arrow (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll get more listeners that way i don't know They, they seem to love broken arrow man no, so it's Fallen Warrior. You quote unquote beat me in trivia last time. You know, just totally trounced me. I beat you so bad. Right. I didn't know the answers to any of those <laughs> questions that you asked at all. <laughs> so the punishment was Hard Target 2. And we usually lead off the episode talking about the Fallen Warrior review. But since it's a sequel, I saved it for the end. Even though these movies aren't really connected other than that there is a hunt for people. Now, Jason, I, I believe you said you've seen this movie a while back. Do you have any impressions still from watching it before I, I talk about it very briefly? I'm a fan of Scott Adkins. I think he's a talented martial artist and he kind of has a similar vibe to Van Damme in that not a great actor, but can carry a movie with his martial arts skills. And it seemed like a a nice throwback to a 90s style action movie. Nothing that's going to blow your socks off, but something that if you're looking for a good 90s action movie, you walk out and you're going to feel satisfied. So, uh, yeah, overall, I think I I enjoyed it. I don't remember much from it, aside from Robert Nepper being the uh, main bad guy in there, but not bad. Okay, right on. I'm glad that I asked you to talk first, because that's the exact opinion I have. I love (laughs) Scott Atkins. Have you watched the Undisputed movies? No, I haven't. Uh, the last one I saw with him in it was the, what was it, Avengement? Avengement. Okay, yeah. yeah. Watch watch the Undisputed movies, man, if you like fights. So he's in Undisputed 2 and 3 and Undisputed 4, which is just called Boyka after his character, which is amazing because the first Undisputed film has Wesley Snipes and Ving Rames, and they're boxers. But oh, then you nice. get to the second one, and you've got Scott Atkins and Michael Jai White playing Ving Rames' character, and it's MMA. <laughs> and it's amazing. The fight scenes in those movies are incredible. And Scott Atkins plays this Russian guy with this thick, thick, amazing accent. And it, he's so likable and so charming, even though he's so terrible. On those, I promise you, those that those are some of the best 
straight-to-DVD action movies ever. The fight scenes in those movies are way better than most non-straight-to-DVD movies. They're amazing. So I, I really like Scott Atkins a lot, even though, like you said, he, he may not be the best actor, but his hero was Van Damme. So he really wanted to have this movie made, and he got to play the Van Damme role, and I think he does great. It's not as good, obviously, as the original. John Woo's not directing. You don't have that New Orleans flavor. But hey, if you like the plot of the first Hard Target, this movie starts r- almost right off with it. Scott Atkins kills a guy in the ring in a fight, because he's a fighter, it's the same start as the fourth Undisputed movie, basically. So he goes and he's like living the school of hard knocks and all this happens in like the first six minutes of the movie. It moves so fast. And before you know it, he's in the jungle being hunted in Thailand, like almost immediately. You know, it takes like an hour and hard target for Van Damme to be hunted. But it's just Scott Atkins being hunted through the jungle with a few people that he meets in the jungle. There just happens to be random people in the jungle that he meets up with. And joins along with. It's kind of like with Van Damme, right? He's known as like a kung fu guy. Like, there's not huge fight scenes in Hard Target. You know, you're not going to get anything like Bloodsport or anything like that. Which I think some people were upset with Hard Target right when it came out. That he kind of diversified his action. You've got all these chase scenes and other things and shooting. Instead of like, well, he does a lot of kicking. But it's not in like extended fight scenes. And it's the same with Atkins here. There's not really any great fight scenes. But there's a lot of fun chasing and shooting. And I dug it. I give it a 6 out of 10. If you like Scott Atkins or you like fun action movies, you can't really lose here. I mean, it's a good time. It's an inoffensively good time. I enjoyed it. Does he get to punch a snake in the face? Oh, does he punch a snake? I, I can't remember. I watched the <laughs> first Hard Target like 30 times after I watched Hard Target 2, so I can't remember. It all just blends <laughs> together. Yeah. Let's say he did. I'm just I'm just hoping there's a callback like that. He's in the jungle and you know he sees a snake and gets to punch it in the face like a callback to Van Damme. You were talking about uh, straight-to-DVD action movies, and it just made me think, you know, kind of lamenting our times and thinking about when Hard Target came out in 93, this being a pretty big action movie, you know, and made pretty good uh, money at the box office, about $30 million, and then $70 million worldwide. And, you know, again, like I was talking about, just having... Uh, action star being able to carry a movie and it be almost like an event movie where everyone's going to go see the new Van Damme or everyone's going to go see the new Schwarzenegger. And I feel like this same movie coming out in 2022, like it wouldn't get a theatrical release. It would be like the Scott Atkins picture going straight to DVD and no one would see it. And I, I don't know. I don't know why that is. I, I don't know why things have changed so much or, you know, we've stepped away from that. But uh, I, re- I really miss like just big 90s action movies that everyone is like talking about and into and, and going to see in the theaters. So at least we have our memories and at least we have our 4Ks we can now watch and, and relish the awesomeness of John Woo and Van Damme in the early 90s. Hey, Ambulance. At least we got that a few months ago. That was close. Yeah, close that's to true. That, the the mid budget actioneer, Michael Bay, if he decides to keep doing that instead of more Transformers movies, maybe he can keep it alive. That's yeah. right. We need more of that. Some of that classic Bay coming back. So I still need to watch that at your recommendation. I'm really jazzed to see that one. That one blew my mind that it only cost fifty million dollars to make. Right? That's crazy, man. Because you see these Marvel movies, 
where it's like all CG and they cost like $400 million and there's like no visceral impact. And then you watch this and it looks like it cost I don't know, a billion bucks. They're just blowing up everything and smashing everything. And it didn't. I mean, it's incredible. I, I guess like practically destroying a lot of things is somehow more cost effective than like giant CGI figures fighting each other, which is amazing. But I much prefer that, man. I'll take a hundred ambulances over, uh, Almost any Marvel movie. I, I like the Guardians movies, but it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, I'm a fan of the Marvel movies, but I get you as far as like that makes no sense. Like, why aren't we making more practical effects driven movies? I guess just because it I don't know, it, it obviously is it's cheaper in some ways. You know, if like you said, these CGI movies are costing like this gargantuan amounts of money versus like them making that movie for 50 million. Yeah. So I'll, I'll tell know. you what, Jordan it's cause ambulance didn't even make back its budget, man. Kids yeah. just aren't going to see it. They're not going <laughs> to see it. Yeah. Damn kids. Damn kids. kids. It's all the kids fault. The kids and their <laughs> mullets not going to watch movies. <laughs> That's right. You should, you could at least, you know, bring your mullet to the multiplex and honor some good old traditional action movies. Anyways, so yeah, let's move on to our trivia battle. Hold it! Pop quiz, hot shot! Before we even get to trivia, Jordan, do you mind if I spoil what our next episode is? Because I feel like it'll set this trivia up. Let's do it. So we did a Twitter poll. We got a great response, a very large response. And Jordan, you ran the same poll in a few other places. We're going to do a Nicolas Cage movie in our next episode and we weren't sure which one we wanted to cover and we didn't pick like any of the obvious ones like con air and the rock like those are like does for us like we cover those in a second but we picked four that were a little smaller as far as films go and the movie that won kind of in a landslide was leaving las vegas which you know you entrusted us to talk to you about barbed wire and cutthroat island i know that we'll do right by leaving las vegas an oscar-winning film we're gonna knock that one out of the park (laughs) which yeah that kind of blew my mind like okay people voting on this do y'all know our show do you know the kind of movies we we really get excited about and talk about just some of these more ridiculous movies like you said barbed wire or even broken arrow one of our more popular episodes but yeah everybody went with the oscar winner i guess and uh one guy even emailed in was like and this is a a shout out to sebastian if he's listening to this he's uh one of our listeners in france and he's like leaving las vegas is dear to my heart if you guys make bad jokes about that movie i'll see you in court like obviously, <laughs> obviously people really care about this movie there's a lot of people that you know it's it sticks close to them so i promise we'll only tell good jokes about leaving <laughs> las vegas speak for yourself man i'm gonna be telling some terrible jokes i'm sure i've, I'm sure. I've already got them queued up we make no promises and yeah, the punishment so. movie for that episode is going to be a Nicolas Cage movie, too. I don't think either one of us had told the other what they have in mind, so that should be interesting. But let's get this trivia battle going, man. Let's get it going. That's what's at stake here. So whoever loses this is watching some abominable Cage movie, probably straight to video like we were just talking about. You're calling that a punishment? I would call that a gift. I agree. I agree. We use punishment very loosely on this on this show because yeah there's definitely been some questionable punishments i think nick just wants to go easy on me at times because i usually lose these battles so we'll see what happens here 
And since, Jason, we have you as a guest today, what we normally do when, our, when we have a guest on the show is we, we let you uh, be basically a lifeline for either of us. If we don't know the answer to one of the questions, we can, quote unquote, phone a Jason. Ooh, pressure's on. Yeah, let you step in and maybe help us out if you can. So just gear up, get your thinking cap on. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Well, Jordan, all my questions uh, center around Wilford Brimley. I love the hell out of Wilford Brimley so <laughs> oh, no, much. You didn't. I always have loved this guy. And I even followed that rule that sometimes we follow where I have to know the answers to all the questions because <laughs> I know all the answers to these, buddy. Nice. <laughs> I know the answers to all of them. Speaking of that, so I lose at this so often. That if, and we made this rule that I stick to now. I don't know about sometimes for you, Nick, but you know I have to know the answers to these questions. So I thought, why don't I base my trivia questions all on recent stuff I watched that maybe you've <laughs> seen or maybe you haven't seen? You son so. of a bitch. <laughs> Hey, I don't know anything about Wal- Wilford Brimley other than you he should. was in this movie. That I is your should. fault. That, that is, is my fault. fault. I, sh- I should lose this trivia battle, but we'll see how much of an asshole I am with these questions I'm about to give you. Okay. Wilford Brimley starred in 1983's Tender Mercies with good friend Robert Duvall in what leading lady? Was it A, Ellen Barkin, B, Gina Rollins, C, Ellen Burstyn, or D, Sigourney Weaver? Oh, man, and I've seen this movie, but it's been a long time. Oh man, was it Gina Rollins? Wrong. Oh. It was. It was Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin. Yeah. Ah, damn. You know, I All used right. to get the two of them confused though. That it, is a great movie though. If if people haven't seen that, that's a really good Robert Duvall film, and the cinematography and the score, and that's really great. So definitely want people to check that out. Yeah, I think and more hey, people you're... need to see that one. Your wrong answer, Gina Rollins. Hey, opening night with Gina Rollins, the best performance I've ever seen. Amazing. She's amazing. All right. So first question from me based on trivia on stuff that I've recently watched. The 2011 sci-fi monster movie Attack the Block. Have you seen this, Nick? Yep. All right. Who directed this movie? Was it A, Joe Cornish, B, Tom Kingsley, C, Ben Wheatley, D, Patty Considine, or E, Donk Cephas. <laughs> Bring him back, Donk Cephas. As soon as you said it, I thought it's got to be Joe Cornish. Yeah, it's Joe Cornish. Yeah, baby. You got it. You got it. All right. Back to Brimley. In 1984, Wilford Brimley starred in The Natural, directed by A, Robert Redford, B, Phil Alden Robinson, C, Barry Levinson, or D, Kevin Reynolds. What was the year? 1984. I know Redford stars in it. I've seen this one too. Was it Redford? Wrong. It was the Damn. director of Wild Wild West, Barry Levinson. <laughs> Barry Levinson. <laughs> I mean, he, he did nice. Rain Man too, but I mean, he, he did yeah. Wild Wild West. You know, you got your lifeline here, man. I could have saved you on that one. Ah, oh, damn. You're right. I always forget. I always forget <laughs> about my lifeline. All right. Next question. I don't know. I'm calling you in, Jason. If there is a next question, let's see. That's, if I get this right, true. you're dead. All right, all right. All right, so I'll bring out the big guns here. Recent watch. In Runaway Bride, <laughs> Julia Roberts works at what kind of business? Oh, you asshole. You always <laughs> ask these. Was it A, a hair salon? B, a grocery store? C, a magazine publisher? 
D, a newspaper, or E, a hardware store? <laughs> you you went with five? <laughs> oh, you dick. Jason, have you seen this movie recently? I have never seen Runaway Bride. Never. Oh, damn it. I guess that counts as my phone to Jason even asking you that. <laughs> I think I just blew it, to be fair. I think hair salon. I don't know. You know, and all these stupid... I'm sorry. I don't mean to insult your genre of rom-com. You know, that's my least favorite genre. But they always have, like, a really unrealistic job where they're, like, a magazine publisher. I don't know, man. Magazine publisher. I don't know. I knew you'd go for that one. But it's E, hardware store. (laughs) She works at Lowe's. (laughs) She has her own, like, store that she inherited from her father or something. Yeah, she's, like, the owner of the hardware store. Not a hair salon, Nick, you sexist. (laughs) (laughs) I am going to take you into the woods and make you walk behind me and find a rattlesnake and bite off its tail and leave it in your path for that question. (laughs) Jerk. All right. Speaking of your questions, number three, since Jordan always asked me Cocoon questions, which I always get right because I love Cocoon, who directed Brimley and Cocoon? Was it A, Robert Zemeckis, B, Ron Howard, C, Joe Johnston, or D, Matthew Robbins? Ah, uh, crap. Um, I have a guess, but I'm going to go to Jason. Do you know this one? Yeah, this is Ron Howard. Nice. Damn it, I knew Jason would know. What was your guess going to be? Either Ron Howard or... um. You were going to say Zemeckis is what you were going to do. Or Zemeckis, yeah. You were going to miss it. Lucky dog. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what other what stupid question do you have for me? Is it what brand of hairspray Julia Roberts used on My Best Friend's Wedding, Jordan? Is that what you have? I'm going to skip that one. <laughs> All right, so... In 1981's Nighthawks, have you seen Nighthawks, Nick, with Stallone? Yes. Billy D? All right. Well, maybe you can remember how many times is Stallone seen in drag while he's catching a crook? Was it A, one time, B, two times, C, three times, D, four times, or E, 19 times? I don't remember, man. I've seen this in forever. I'll just guess two. Oh, damn it, you got it. <laughs> <laughs> you suck. Nice. <laughs> oh, man. So I lose. I lose, right? You lose again, yeah. 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 You lose. Big Even shocker. with that stupid question. Uh, all right, man. <laughs> well, I'm glad even if I lost, I obviously put you out <laughs> to much chagrin <laughs> with my stupid question. I'm going to be thinking about you all night with that stupid runaway bride question, and I'm going to be cursing you under my breath as i fall asleep tonight i think i should just have a rom-com question every trivia battle i think that's what you're telling me well that would be fine if it wasn't some stupid detail like that like didn't you ask me that about sweet home alabama what was reese witherspoon's profession (laughs) i don't know she was a lawyer Uh, uh, was she was that her job in that movie i get all those mixed up that's legally blonde (laughs) the question was about the guy in the movie and what store he works in like an antique <laughs> store or something i don't know <laughs> it was that was fred willard's fault that was from the fred willard magnificent movie trivia book that i didn't use this time so i am proud of you for that you proud, proud of me of i wrote my own questions i am but it doesn't matter how proud of you i am i'm still gonna make you watch 2006's remake of the wicker man oh nice <laughs> what does this have on rotten tomatoes like a zero percent i'm pretty sure i hope so <laughs> 
I'll probably watch it too. I like the original Wicker Man. I got a little excited when they announced the remake. I thought this could really work just with like more modern filming techniques. Like they could really do this thing justice. And then it, it just turned into a meme. I never watched it. It just looked ridiculous. I've seen the bees part and the how to get burned part on YouTube, but I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I'll just make you watch it and recap it to me. That's right. This just means I, I've been meaning to go back and watch the original. I've never seen the original. So I'm definitely going to watch that first so I don't get soured on that by the Nick Cage version. <laughs> and then, so you're you're basically making me watch two movies here, Nick. The original Wicker Man is one of the few, in my opinion, few horror movies that work in the daylight. It's not like a terrifying movie or anything. Just it's got a really creepy, weird atmosphere. Um, Jason, I don't know if you've seen this one before, what your opinion on that one is, but I, I dig it. Yeah, I love them both. The original's uh, classic, and I think the Nicolas Cage performance is fantastic, as over-the-top as it is. Awesome. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining us on this crazy ride. Do you want to just tell people where they can find you and your show? Yeah, anywhere you're listening to this, you'll be able to find the Force 5 podcast. Every episode, I interact with people online. Comments make the show, so if you want to get involved with the show, you can hit me up on Twitter at Force5Pod or on Instagram at Force5Podcast. Or just go to the website, uh, force5podcast.com. It's a great show. Appreciate it. I really enjoy it, man. Yeah, good stuff. It's a new experience every time. You bring some great guests on there, except that one time. <laughs> <laughs> except that one time those guys talk about the 90s sci-fi. Right, what was right. That? Your knowledge and just the depth of it and the amount of things that you've seen, it's amazing. So always enjoy the show, man. Thank you for coming on. Appreciate it. I've got some killer guests coming up for the summer. I'm excited to see the response from people for the guests I'm getting. Right on. Right on. Yeah, looking forward to it. For our listeners, if you enjoy the show, you can help support us at our Patreon. You can visit patreon.com slash filmshake. So Nick and I will be recording a new bonus episode coming up. I know we're going to get into some Stranger Things talk as we've both been diving into that recently. We've got some other recent stuff we've watched so we normally just kind of have a hangout episode where if you pay three dollars or more you can you know, join our patreon get access to that bonus content so love to get more supporters there of the show and get those bonus episodes out to more people so thank you guys who have signed up appreciate all the support if you have any feedback or commentary for us on any of the movies that we've been covering you can shoot us an email at filmshakepodcast at gmail.com or you can reach out to us on our Twitter at 90s Movies Pod. Uh, so Nick is over there running the Twitter and lots of good times, lots of fun interaction. I've been enjoying getting more on my own Twitter and talking to Force 5 and Jackson Boren and all these other like film Twitter people. It's a good time. So with that, we'll catch you next time for more Film Shake. Take it easy. that dumbbell chance a tragedy